Okay. I'm a little nervous. Okay. This is one of those weeks. It is. What did you think about yesterday's Enterprise? Um, it was I. Okay. Well, we should stop doing the show then. <laughs> no, uh, this was I did not I, I, I came in blind to this episode just like I did to the death of Tasha Yar. I didn't see the Netflix preview or whatever, so That's good. Yeah, I know and I'm very glad that I because when you know you saw Yar, I thought, oh you know, oh my god, that's great. This episode was kind of the show acknowledging that they did kind of wrong by that character and giving her really the death that, you know, was worthy of a main character on this series. And in a way that doesn't, you know, kind of deny the original one and still takes in, because the meaninglessness of her death was part of the episode in a way of Skin of Evil. Um, So this does acknowledge that sometimes deaths are meaningless. Sometimes there is just wanton destruction um but also that this is a character who deserves to make that choice and deserves and you you know you think about the they talk about the klingon you know saying that uh, um an honorable death is what they are seeking and this is about tasha yar getting an honorable death yes and i i think a good way to talk about yesterday's enterprise is to go back to skin of evil because Yester's Enterprise, in a lot of ways, I don't think was designed to be an episode that was going to redeem Tasha Yar or do right by her. Yeah. Uh, I think the original conception was just kind of this high concept episode. Let's have, you know, two Enterprises yeah. meet and blah, 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 time travel, et cetera, end of episode. But, you know, what it, what it becomes is it becomes the Tasha Yar episode that we all wanted. Yeah. And it's weird because you can see... The the show is having a conversation with itself at this point. And yeah. the show is saying, were we doing right by these characters? Were we doing right by the premise? Were we actually doing everything that we could do with the Star Trek name and the Star Trek franchise and the Star Trek ideals and beliefs? And the, the, the show is saying, no, we didn't. And we need to fix a lot yeah. of these things that we were doing in the first couple of seasons. Not not necessarily saying that the people involved in the show now were, were doing those things in the first couple of seasons. But this episode, in a lot of ways, is a huge fuck you to the creative team that was working on the show in the first season. Yeah. And saying, we understand what you were trying to do by having Tosh Yar have a meaningless death yeah you wanted to show that anybody could die at any moment you wanted to have a character die like a red shirt in the original series but that that's all admirable and that's fine but it was the wrong decision and it was the wrong decision because audiences for television shows have relationships with characters and they need some you need to treat you need to treat your main characters that your audience has a relationship with with respect and killing Tasha Yar in that manner, while we understand why you did it, was not respectful. And we're going to fix it. Yeah, I, I really liked that. And, I mean, you think about when they have, you know, e- e- even even Spock's death, which he came back from in the next movie, was a worthy death. It was a sacrifice. This 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 series believes in sacrifices. Um, this is a series that does believe that as someone who is in the Federation, you— should be willing to give up for a greater ideal. And pretty much all of these characters are willing to give up their lives for a, if, for a greater ideal. Um, and Tasha Yar was, and she didn't get that kind of chance. So yeah, it, it, it's... They they find a way to get a... This is a do-over. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. And I think... It's a weird episode because you yeah. can kind of see it's that it's that high concept stuff that that Star Trek really loves to do. Yeah, you know, you've got this time travel at the Enterprise C. Um, they discover that you know uh, the the Enterprise C coming to the future caused the timeline to radically change. You get all of these great uh, uh, little changes in in the in the feel of the ship, yeah, sort of the and flavor the of the ship, the, the uniforms, and sort of the the sound effects that are there. And the bridge is absolutely different. I mean, the, that, that's probably the most dramatic change. Yeah, absolutely, and and sort of just little things where it feels much more like a military ship. And 
you know, to the point where 10 Forward has long tables, you know, they've got uh, general announcements over the loudspeaker all the time. You know, it, it, it definitely doesn't feel like a home. It feels more like a like a battleship. And that's what I really like about the episode is that it really does use, you know, a lot. It, it, it's allowing itself to change aspects of the show that it could change aspects of the set that it could change because these are i mean you know these are very cheap fixes i mean turn down the lights and add a couple of consoles basically and and make some cheap belts i mean that's basically what they were doing and some sound effects but it really goes a long way towards towards making it feel very different and you know at this point of course we've been in on the bridge of the real enterprise for how long that for three seasons so the changes are obvious i mean even guinan has a different color outfit on um and what's in, you know, she, she, Troy is not in this episode, which completely makes sense because, you know, maybe if, you know, if she is a ship's counselor, you know, maybe she is working on the Enterprise, but, you know, she's not, you know, Picard's right hand in this Well, it one. says a lot about, about what Starfleet yeah. is in this timeline, yeah, right? exactly. It, 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 Starfleet is not, Starfleet is a military organization. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, one of the interesting things about yesterday's Enterprise is that, you know, you always have this kind of debate about whether or not Starfleet is the military. And I think this episode goes a long way towards proving that Starfleet is not the military. Because if you wanted a military Starfleet, this is what it would look like. No, I mean, you also think about Mirror Mirror, in a way. uh, Yeah. Where that, you know, that is a military and conquering uh, Starfleet. This is a military and perhaps defensive Starfleet. But, yeah, those two have more in common. And this does have more in common with Kirk as we know him, in a way. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too, because this is a Starfleet that they don't go... I I like the episode because... You know, it's weird because it's kind of it, – it, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. It's got a lot of yeah. writers uh, uh, credited to this episode, and they all sort of took a part of it and kind of I wrote would say it, it and, is kind of a, in pieces in a way, but in a good way. They all – there is an overarching – it's all consistent, which is impressive. Yeah, and it's funny if you look at the, you know, behind-the-scenes sort of production stuff, um, none of the people involved really thought the episode was going to work. And it, I mean, it does. Yeah. Oh my like, God. It's one of the best episodes of the series. And, you know, what I really, really find interesting about this episode more than anything else is just the fact that they're able to sell the differences in Starfleet and sell the differences in the characters without really giving a whole lot of background and without giving a whole lot of context. Yeah. You know, there's, there's general things about, oh, we're, we're at war with the Klingons. Um, you know, the war's not going well. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But but they don't really tell you, for example, that yeah. Picard and Riker don't have a great relationship. But it's pretty obvious that they yeah, don't. They're not that close. They don't need to be that close. Maybe right. Um, I think it's interesting that Guinan does become the kind of the Troy in this episode, and I think it's interesting that she's able to walk right onto the bridge, which is something she really doesn't do in the regular series. And they kind of imply that she does that a lot. Like, she does have this, you know, maybe she's not a direct part of the Federation of Starfleet, but she can go where she wants. You know, Picard well, see, has given her that. That's funny because I kind of got the impression that that was very uh, rare for her to do that. She doesn't come to the bridge because Picard seems shocked that she would come to the bridge. It's not that she comes to the bridge that often. It's okay. that she's allowed to if she wants to. Well, I guess more, more that she would initiate a com she anytime we see her talking to picard you know and calling him and so you know we've in this episode in the borg episode she calls him both times and you know it it is seen you know it is seen as a weird thing but he does have more of a relationship with her than he does in the series i would say yeah and i think this episode is is kind of about soft power in a way yeah because you know, you, what what we're seeing now is we're seeing a, a Federation seeing a Starfleet, which is hard power, which is at a war with the Klingons. That's as hard as it gets. Yeah. And the Starfleet and the Federation that we have in the show outside of this alternate timeline is very much about soft power, about, you know, helping people, humanitarian aid, things like that. And so what we see here is Guinan, who is not a member of Starfleet, who is not in the command structure at all is the person who kind of convinces Picard, yeah. the captain of the ship, that what he needs to do is send the Enterprise-C back into the time rift, basically with no evidence at yeah. all, we should say. And turns out that she's right, of course. Yeah. But 
that's partly because that's how the script is written. But you know, it it, it kind she, of colors that that relationship in a very interesting way, well, and it's something that we haven't really seen before. There's that scene where she basically says, "Like, look, I've never." You know, told you to just do something based on instinct. Anytime you've come to me for advice, the advice has turned out to been right. Like, you know, this Guinan in general, but especially this version of Guinan, has such an impeccable reputation and a kind of an unassailable insight into things. At least Picard agrees with this, and the other the other members of the crew kind of. Well, they don't necessarily agree with it, kind of go with it at least, um, although Picard does kind of say like – and I thought that was interesting. He says, you know, this is not a discussion. Like I've made up my mind. You're just all going to have to deal with this, which is not something he ever does. Yeah, that it's it's a different Picard in yeah. a lot of ways. And I also think it's interesting that Captain Garrett goes along with it as well, right? Yeah. Because it's not even that Picard really needs to try and convince her that much. I mean, she she wants to go back, and she knows that her crew wants to go yeah. back because they feel like they. Le- I mean, she says they feel like they left the battle, you know, midway. Well, and that's very interesting as well because again, they know it's a mean. You know, they they all but say like, if the wormhole hadn't happened, you know, we would be dead. Like they all kind of, in, in, in their mind, they died already, and you know, I I think that's interesting because Tasha knows she's died already, and I guess every. every Maybe one of the points of the episode, and this is existentialism 101, is that you know you're already dead. It's just you have to choose the good death in a way. And, you know, by going through this wormhole, while they didn't actively choose the bad death, you know, they just kind of blundered into, you know, not not being able to do that. And and, and this is them saying, like, no, this is, this is the right thing to do. And they all do believe that, you know, it's pretty much the implication is that in the real in the real timeline, this ship. Uh, the first Enterprise C fought so well and maybe was defeated by the Romulans, but the Klingons were impressed by this and, you know, tensions may have been rocky, but then saw, oh, the Federation came to our aid and that, you know, they kind of owed the Federation a favor or it made them more inclined to work with them. Um, In this version of the timeline, they don't fight and hell, maybe even the Romulans, this is part of their plan to get the Klingons and the Federation fighting, you know, get one of their enemies to you know, be defeated by one of you know. I I I got. I almost get the sense that that is what the behind the scenes of this war was. It's funny because you know, um, and I, I do want to talk about about Tasha Yar, but I think that if you go with the sort of timeline of Star Trek, and if you know, I can sort of be allowed to, yeah. to you know, Trek geek out for a minute. Um, you know, I think what what really you're seeing is if you go back to Star Trek Six, which of course was made after this episode yeah. was made, but it was informed by a lot of what the next generation had done. Yeah. And it does point. kind of fit with, you know, the enterprise C was from, I think 22 years before this episode and star Trek six took place something like 70 or 80 years before star Trek, the next generation. Yeah. So if you kind of look at it from the point of view of, okay, uh, it's the, 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 it, yep. the Klingon empire had this disaster happen in star Trek six. They made the decision to have some sort of not exactly a peace treaty but a ceasefire an agreement yeah a humanitarian aid would be sent to, to the klingon homeworld etc cetera, etc cetera, right and the klingons are like all right well we need this so we'll go along with it but we still don't respect you right yeah and then you know 40 or 50 years past generation the klingons can't actually work you know they, they don't have the the ability to to wage war against the federation which is kind of what the reason is why they're even having this yeah. uh, uh, uh ceasefire you know yeah you have another generation of klingons who have not seen this and so they're like no let's do this they've grown up um, knowing the federation at you know they probably know the federation as something who's providing but restricting them yeah exactly and so you know what you see is you know it, it's a little pat in some ways but i think you know the enterprise c you know making the sacrifice yeah to you know, save the Klingons at the expense of their own lives against the Romulans is what really impresses the Klingons. It shows that the Federation is genuinely acting in good faith. And and leads forward the way yeah. for the Klingons and the Federation in, in the time of the next generation to be as strong allies as they are. Yeah, and now, in, let's say there's rebellious enemies, with it, rebellious factions within the Klingon Empire who's saying, you know, the Federation is bad, the Federation is bad. If the if the Federation doesn't help in this disaster, then yeah, they're kind of believed. You know, most likely there was something like that, and 
you know, the Federation uh, chip sacrificing itself, they get looked on as a bunch of kooks. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of really interesting backstory that could be there about this where, you know, maybe there was a political crisis in the Klingon Empire 20 years ago where... This is how fan fiction starts! One faction wanted to go back to war with the Federation and one faction didn't. So when the Enterprise C happens... And they, you know, they disappear basically, and the Klingons go, "Look, this is what happens. The Federation are cowards. We should go after them." Or but they the don't Inter- even know what happened to their own ship, right? Exactly. <laughs> or, or the or the Enterprise C sacrifices itself to save the Klingons, and the other faction goes, "No, oh, look, they they're really, you know, they have honor, yeah. et cetera, et cetera." Um, I think it works really well, and I think the other interesting thing here as well is what the role of the Romulans is in this, because. Yeah. The show has said before that the Romulans had been gone for so long. This kind of implies that they were there and they were doing things kind of behind the scenes to affect things. Maybe they wanted to cause a war with the Federation and the Klingons. Maybe this is why they left for a while because this ended that, you know, if the Federation and the Klingons getting allied even stronger is about the absolute worst case for the Romulans in that scenario. So, yeah, maybe they just took 20 years off. After this incident. And I also, you know, it's it's funny because I think it's 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 interesting that the war is going so bad for the Federation. You know the Enterprise C crew and Captain Garrett and 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 you know Richard Castillo come into a very different Starfleet than the one that they were in. Yeah. You know, they were in a Starfleet that was more akin to the next generation. Yeah, they were about 20 years before. So in between Kirk and Picard. Right. They were explorers. They were peaceful humanitarian. They come to a Starfleet that is very militaristic, that is in the middle of a war that the yeah. Federation is, is is losing, basically. You know, what does that mean exactly? And, you know, I think that you, you get back to you go back to hard choices. You go back to to what is the good death. You know, I think. They didn't really go into whether or not they shared a lot of the details about what they thought was going on. And what I find is interesting about this episode in a way as well is that nobody really knows anything. It's all feeling. It's all gut intuition. And it's kind of this idea that... You know, being a good captain or being a, a good judge of character is is kind of just knowing, you know, when to trust your gut and when not to trust your gut. That they all do trust their gut and they all trust their captain and they're able to go with her and then later go with Castillo once she dies, of course, and and say, yes, no, we, we don't know exactly why we're doing this, but yeah. we're going to do it because this is our duty. Yeah. You know, this episode reminded me in a lot of ways of that episode of Buffy where um, they first introduce Anya and they have, you know, what would happen if Buffy didn't come to the school. And, you know, it's essentially the same thing. The vampires have overrun everything, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And at the end, you know, Giles makes the choice based on, you know, he says any world has to be better than this. I mean, the Picard essentially says, you know, we're we're six months from completely losing the war. Like, right. we are just fighting to fight at this point. We're not going to win. We just want to take out as many as we can, you know, and until it, like, we really, you know. And so it's kind of a last-ditch effort. Like, well, you, you know— there is no worse than this. There is not a worse case scenario than this. We are at the end of the rope, and something has to be better than this in a way. Right, exactly. I mean, there there probably is a worse case scenario, but it's so bad that yeah. it's, it's kind of like, I don't know, the, the complete heat death of the universe. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like <laughs> the, the Federation being conquered by the Klingons is about as bad as it could get. Yeah. I do, you know, I want to talk about Tasha Yar because yeah. I find, you know... I don't want to be uncharitable to Denise Crosby. I think th- this is the best Tasha Yar episode that we ever got. Yeah. Uh, Yar was never going to be the greatest character, and Crosby was never going to be the greatest Star Trek actress, I think. Well, that's kind of where I was going. Yeah. With it, like... Where in this episode, Denise Crosby is given the strongest material that Tasha Yar was ever given. She's given a lot to do, she does it okay. Yeah. But I, you know, the one the one problem I have with the episode is that this kind of it's a little bit of evidence for saying that the show is better for not having Denise Crosby in it. Frankly, well, I think yeah. I think it's I think she, you know she does a great job in this episode, um, and and certainly I think that the show I don't know that the show needed to redeem that character and needed to fix her death, but I think it's 
once you see this episode nice and how strong did, it yeah. is, it's yeah, it's nice that they did. But I don't really know that she adds a lot to the show. And and frankly, I don't think Denise Crosby is as strong as an actress as the show. She would not have fared well in this in this cast. I think. Yeah. I, I, and in a way, I mean, that maybe is the implication like in she she is kind of an anomaly. She belongs to a she was born in the wrong time. I mean, she would have excelled in a militant Starfleet, you know, in a peaceful Starfleet. That's just not who she was. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I, I don't mean, know. I, I, I think it's more just due to the fact that, that Denise Crosby is perhaps not the most effusive actress. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess my feeling after watching this episode was, oh, it was really nice to see Yar again. I'm glad, you know, I, I, I'm glad she I'm glad she made a nice man who made her happy for a little while. And I'm glad she got to die in a way that she would have, you know, that she wanted, that she chose in a way that we can respect, in a way which meant something i'm glad for that i I, the, like, I didn't come from this episode saying oh god damn i really wish they could have kept her somehow yeah and i yeah like that that's that's i guess the difference between the two of them like if i saw a Pul- another pulaski episode i might say god damn i wish we could still see her but you know this i said it's really good that they ended the story this way. Yeah, and I also think that, you know, in in a way, you know, of course, they could have figured out a way to keep her if yes. they really wanted to put her in a time bubble or whatever. You know, I don't know. Uh, no, she makes it back to it. That ship escapes and, you know, she's still around, but, you know, as, you know, in her 50s now. She, yeah, she's, she's 45 or whatever. Yeah. yeah, that could be. But, you know, I think it's it's more due to the fact that what we see in this episode of Tasha Yar is a character which had really no nothing to her but i think at the same time it's nice that we get to see a good version of that character yeah. in the same way that we get we finally in the third season have gotten you know great writing for all of the characters all of the characters sort of have defined personalities maybe not jordy <laughs> but you know whatever uh, maybe not Troy necessarily, but but they're, they're they're definitely they're really strong characters, and they've gotten a good handle on them, and they get good dialogue. If they're not characters, they at least have good gimmicks. Yar's gimmick is that she died, right? So I think it's nice that we actually get a good version of the character. Yeah, I think she. I think they do still define her by her death in this episode, and it's a shame that that is the case. It's better than when she was defined by the rape gangs in season one, but um. Yeah, she she's she, but I guess my question for you is were you expecting her to ever come back? No, I mean, I, I know it's Star Trek and they can do that kind of thing. So Yeah, I mean, I I I But did you I mean I know she gets started a couple of things and yeah, it could be as simple as a, you know, shows can do flashbacks. Shows right, can do right. you know, here's a holographic representation of, you know, that kind of a thing. Yes, they can be you know, they can data could meet an energy being who takes on Tashi R's four. You know, they they can do things like that. So I did know that she did reappear. At least the actress does. Um, but I didn't. Just as I didn't know she died, I didn't know that they brought back this character in this way. Okay, that's fair. That's I guess what I can. And like I said, I'm glad they did. And you know, it worked. If you know, the, the, if if I didn't have genuine feelings about Tasha Yar dying heroically, the episode made me feel like I did, and that's enough, maybe. I think the one the one problem I do have with the episode, aside from from Denise Crosby, is is I would have liked to have seen some more interactions between her and Data. Um, yeah, and I know, w- I know that they don't have they don't have the same relationship in this all. Yeah, they timeline. probably didn't have sex together, but there is that when they talk to each other in that the elevator. Like I said, I mean. I I think be, I I I know you disagreed with this or you know based on measure of a man I did get the sense that she and Data did have some kind of a relationship like they did continue at least being friends after sleeping together in you know naked now and yeah I mean I think they probably did at least stay friends they were at least comp- yeah you know I again I I I like that idea of that relationship because. She doesn't really want that intimate of a relationship, uh, and Data can't provide that much more, but it's kind of a – they both need a little something, and then they can both provide each other with a little something. I also think that it really shows that 
the writing staff in the third season understands the character of Tasha Yar more than the writing staff did in the first season because Tasha Yar is a character which is defined by her adversity and she's a character which is defined by her duty and her service in Starfleet. And she doesn't she she is very standoffish in in person in, in her personal relationships. Yeah. She is uncomfortable with you know emotion and uncomfortable with you know sort of that kind of thing. And I think this episode goes a long way towards explaining that and kind of uh, giving her an opportunity to soften up a little bit. Um, it kind of goes. It's amazing that the episode is able to do so many things in the forty-five minutes that oh, it's yeah. on because, of course, you get this high concept you know, science fiction plot, you get some good moments with Guinan, you get some good moments with, uh, with Picard and things like that. And you're also able to sort of see the entire arc of the Tasha Yar character. And she gets to, you know, she gets to be the character that she was in the first season. She gets to redeem herself from yeah. her own death. She chooses to die. Let's not forget that. And she also gets a little action. Yeah. And I, I think it's just, it's it's nice that the show is able to juggle so many of those things It's just, in one let's episode. give her the closest that we can to a happy ending. Right. It's kind of like, we didn't do right by this character. Let's let's do what we can to, yeah. to sort of fix that. And I think, you know, it it's... It's fairly an amazing piece of work, I have to yeah. say. I love, I love her interactions with Guinan. I love that they are... I, 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 you know, it's implied that the two of them become very close as well. Again, Guinan is the bartender. She would be everybody's confidant in a way Troy isn't. And Troy and, uh, Troy and Yar were friends, so... Uh, but at the same time, you know, Guinan knows this isn't a relationship that should have happened. Yeah, and yeah. I like the scene when, you know... When Yar finally, like, says, look, you know, what happened? And, you know, then Guinan doesn't even couch it. You know, she said, you died. You died a meaningless death. You were never supposed to be here. I was never supposed to have met you, you know. Because, yeah, Yar does it. You know, it sucks to hear that. Yar is not happy to hear that. But she needs to hear the unvarnished truth. And I think Tasha Yar is a character that appreciates yeah. not, not couching things no, like No, because, you know, she, she's going to come to there anyway. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they, they, even even if Guinan, you know, uses the most implicatory and euphemistic language, you know, Yar is eventually going to figure it out. So, you know, don't waste her time, you know. And I love that the episode ends with Guinan trying to get to know Yar as well as she could have. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's funny because... The the show begins and ends in a very similar place. Yes. You have Guinan sitting at the same table at the beginning and the end, you know, with Worf in the beginning. And, you know, the beginning of the episode kind of sets up the the symbolism for the entire thing where, you know, Worf is a Klingon who is trying a human beverage, right? Oh, yeah, the prune juice. Right, which also becomes kind of a running joke. <laughs> uh, this, You know, it's kind of funny to see where these things start. Um, you know, Worf's prune juice obsession becomes a, thing, yeah. becomes, a becomes a running joke. And at the end of the episode, you have Guinan sitting with Jordy, who I also wish that it had been Data again. But yeah, it, that yeah, that would have been. You know, I don't know why it was Jordy. Maybe just because he wasn't in the episode very much. <laughs> uh, and you get this kind of nice moment where it's kind of bookended by Guinan asking about Tasha Yar, and you know, Jordy is obviously. I think surprised that he would ask that she would ask about yeah. Tasha Yard, even that she would know the name. And we yeah, don't really, exactly. we don't really know how she knows the name and we don't really know to what degree Guinan knows what happened. We don't know if she went to Picard and told him what happened. You know, yeah, we, we I mean, really... she calls him, she's like, you know, she, I mean, she gets almost as much of a feeling in the regular timeline as she did in the alternate timeline about, What's going on? Yeah, and it's kind of this idea that that Guinan has this sort of ex- extrasensory perception about time, yeah. but we don't know to what degree, and we yeah. don't know exactly how clear it is. Data to her. speculates about that. Yeah, he says, you know, her species might have some kind of awareness that we just don't even know. You know. Yeah, and also, you know, it, it colors her her reaction to Q from from Deja Q in an interesting way as well. <laughs> yeah. I think you know because who knows what the hell is going on with Guinan in a lot of ways. You know, she is. A mysterious character, and we don't know what's happening. Maybe with her. she was a Q continuum and she left. Maybe. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Uh. Yeah. yeah, I think, you know. Oh, this was a good episode. This is a hard episode to talk about just because it is 
Uh, it's like the measure of a man. It is, you know, one of those classic top five episodes of the show. No, it was it was wonderful. But it, it it's good from top to bottom, and I think again, it really shows how far the show has become has come. And it, it, just the fact of the matter is that it is so uh, confident at this point. Oh yeah, without even really knowing that it's that confident, because again, if you look at a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, they didn't think this was going to work. And it's amazing that it does. It but... almost, you know, it almost does get the sense of like all of these pieces that just you know, they 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 dropped a bunch of pieces and they happened to fall in the perfect position, you know. It, it does Well, even it... to the point where think about what they're able to get across in the 4 minutes of it's... that cold open, right? Yeah. Like you get the scene with Jordy and 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 uh, not Jordy with with Worf and Guinan. Uh, you get the the appearance of the probe. You get and then you suddenly get the the change over into the alternate timeline, and it's like, yeah, you th- why like th- the show would not have been able to do that last year. It just it would have failed miserably. You know, uh, it's just amazing, frankly. You know, it, it, it's I, I don't know. I mean, like. Going back to the next generation, you know, I always sort of had mixed feelings about the show, but seeing the show in the third season and seeing how good it gets, I'm getting a renewed appreciation no, for it because I, it's, and it's it. They knew what they were doing. This is even one if of they those, didn't think they knew what they were doing. This is one of the yeah. And imagine what happens when they figure out how to do that regularly. I mean, this is almost the. It, you know, they they accidentally made a masterpiece, you know, and they were going to figure out how to make – like, this is what I'm finally believing in the show. Yeah. yeah. Like, all right, this is what the show can do. All right. Nine well, glasses of prune juice. Oh, man. No, I'm giving this 10. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on to The Offspring. So, as someone who enjoys the music of The Offspring – Yes. Uh, can you give me any information on whether or not the band took their name from this episode of Star Trek? Well, actually, uh, Lal's hairstyle is very much how Dexter Holland looked like on the original uh, album. Oh. Yeah. Was Lal In Dexter the Holland? Oh, my. Dexter Lalland. Wow. Wow. He has, like, a PhD in biology. What the shit, dude? The offspring. Come on. What did you think of this? I really like, oh man. This, this was a good week. Oh shit. This was this was a great week. Um it was uh, it, it was it was a data episode. It was a good data episode. Data acted like data the entire time, which is a really I I'm beginning to find, you know, and I'm beginning to agree with you is kind of the mark of whether a data episode will be good or not. Yes. Um you said that the, the uh previous episode yesterday's enterprise was kind of the show having a conversation with itself and this is as well and I see the show in general. Well, it's it's not a continuity heavy show, it's not an arc based, but every episode happens. Yes. And you know, every episode affects things that happen later on. You know, one of the things with Kirk is that, you know, there are really no ramifications to any of his actions until the movies, really. And here, it that's, that's a, I mean, that's been happening for a while. But, you know, here's another. This is this is the arc that we have seen Data through. I mean, it's it's the next logical step that he has a child. Yeah, it's kind of, you know... The, the you know television in general what it was doing at this point in sort of the early 90s you know and, and if you look at star trek you know the original series and you know your complaint about it was always that it didn't have any sort of continuity yeah. at all and it, it didn't i mean they might have mentioned uh, a previous episode once or twice in the entire 79 episode run of the series uh this is a definitely a show that is is comfortable with and is not afraid to mention things that happened in the past uh, and I, it, it's a show that gets more comfortable with it as it goes along. And, you know, Yesterday's Enterprise is an episode that that doesn't... I mean, I think it were And it's funny because, you know, it does continuity in a different way than I think a lot of television shows now where you can't sit down and watch, you know, episode eight, season two of Breaking Bad without, no, you know, without yeah. having seen the other previous, you know, 16 episodes or whatever. Whereas you could sit down and watch The Offspring... Without ever having seen an episode of The Next Generation, and it would work for you. Yes. Because it's just, it's a self-contained story that works brilliantly. It has they a explain, beginning, middle, and end. The, they explain the major parts of data that relate to this episode, i.e. he's an android. He right. doesn't have emotions, which, yay, we get to talk about that today. Uh, you know, those kind of things. Um, 
but yeah, they, they established that in about two or three sentences, and the rest is just, that's all you need to know for it. But it also is an episode of the show which doesn't forget that The Measure of a Man happened. Yeah. It's, it's an episode of the show which, if you've seen, you know, the previous 35 episodes of the show or whatever it is, well, actually more than that, 45 or whatever, episodes of the show, it, it, it colors, you know, you get different sort of richness out of it, I think. And... It is kind of the next logical step, I think, that Data would decide to make another android. Yeah. Um, we've already, we've proven that he's not human, but a person in Measure of a Man. And yeah, one of the one of the things of life is that life does procreate itself. And so, yes, Data obviously has that desire. And that colors the debate about what is Data. Yeah, and I think the debate is a good way to get into the episode because, you know, very early on, I was sort of, you know, I'd seen this episode many, many times. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love this episode. But uh, it, it's funny because very early, on, very early on in the episode, when it's first revealed that Data has made this android, he, he tells Wesley and uh, Troy, I think. And and Jordy. Jordy, yes, and Jordy. Uh, which makes sense because, you know, Troy is, is the emotional one. Jordy is the engineer. And Wesley is 16. 16. He's Jordy's love child. So, and then he doesn't tell Picard. And Picard is kind of offended, right? Yeah. And I think the show is grappling with the fact that Picard, I don't think that Picard doesn't think that Data is a person. But I think that Data is an entity which engenders hard it, it, it in general he he makes a lot of the characters uncomfortable in a way which is interesting because yeah intellectually picard and this admiral and everybody believe that data is a person but when push comes to shove and there's a new and sort of frankly dangerous aspect to what he's doing with his own life yeah they react badly well i mean picard almost seems genuine you know at first when he's saying you know picard classifies this as a science project and yes i would assume under starfleet regulations if you are you know if if geordie wanted to create a new type of engine let's say Jordy would probably have to talk to Picard about that, would have to, you know, go through some kind of channels to requisition equipment and all of that, you know. And yes, you know, I, I think Picard just knee-jerks says, well, this is something that, you know, they did in the cybernetics lab. So obviously it's a science project when, you know, Data's point about, you know, well, if two, two of your crew want to have a baby, like, you'll find out immediately, you know, of course you'll get the birth announcement, but they're not going to ask for permission. And, you know, it's 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 funny because I also think that Picard's reaction in the very first part of the episode has a lot to do with his own feelings about children in general. Oh, I agree. And that's one of the aspects that isn't really teased out in the episode at all and isn't really explored, frankly, because I just don't think it's that important to what the, what this episode yeah, is trying not to Picard. say. Picard's feelings about that are irrelevant. Are here. irrelevant in, in the story. But this is really an episode about data. Um, but... It does color it, and I think it's interesting that Picard is so hesitant and so resistant to the idea. I think it's less to do with the fact that he considers it a science project and more to do with the fact that he doesn't understand why people want to have children. Uh, it's one of the, and, you know, yeah, it's the, of all the, all the work that Data had to do, essentially making a leap in science that one other person, Data's own father, uh, has been able to do, um... Why would you go through that work for a kid? Right, <laughs> right. And and not only a kid, but, you know, a, a, a kid which you're expecting is going to uh, uh, be a very hot topic of conversation amongst, you know, the, the Daystrom Institute or whatever, right? Like, Daystrom, why do we know that name? Daystrom? Yeah. Oh, well, that was the uh, uh, the guy from The Ultimate Computer in okay. the original series. And I know there was an episode where they mentioned the Daystrom Institute or uh, something else was yeah. named after him. So uh, uh, I like uh, that that's, you know, the gym. I gen- think Leia Brahms, they mentioned, went to the Daystrom Institute. Yes. That was, um, so, it's, so they're kind of they're feeding a lot yeah, of Yeah, like he, stuff he's in. the yeah. Einstein of cybernetics is kind of the... Pretty much, yeah. He was the one who did the Duodronic Computer in The Ultimate Computer. Um, so anyway, so yeah, and I think, you know... 
Law is interesting because in a lot of ways, the, like the first, I think, half of the episode, Law is more of, a, of an object than a subject. And then it because, does. Because, yeah, as. It, it, it's learning, you know, they, they, it's not quite sentient in the, and I say it during the first half of the episode. Right. But well, I mean, that's, that's technically accurate because yeah. it hasn't chosen a gender and it hasn't chosen all yeah. of those things. And then as it, as you know, Lal develops, you know, the Lal becomes a person. And yeah. yeah. Once, once Lal takes on the form that Lal takes on a, a human female and, you know, is working intent forward and, you know, all of these interesting things. You know, in a lot of ways, I think this episode is kind of showing us uh, what Data went through. Yeah. And it's allowing Data to experience. Like he even I says think, and yeah. that, that, you know, a large part of what it is to be a parent is that you feel like you're experiencing, you're learning something again for the first time through the eyes of your child. And yeah. it's funny because, you know, I know we have to talk about data and emotions again because this is something that comes up in this episode because yeah. Lol develop. This is the reason why Lol eventually dies is that you know she develops emotions and it causes this cascade failure or whatever. Um, basically, we're you know we're seeing an episode of uh, Saint Elsewhere now. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> you know, but but it works, and I think it, I don't know. I you know it it's something that just is a problem with the show that. Even the characters in the show, th- you know. Well, here's the thing. Um, I think I still think Data has the wrong idea of what an emotion is. I think because when, when at the end when Law goes to Troy and is saying, you know, I'm feeling it. I feel this. And she's like literally pointing to her stomach um, and, you know, talking about emotion as a physical force. But. Which is a part of it. Yes. Oh, I agree. A large part of it, I would say. But also, let's, 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 we can't discount the fact that when he's talking, when Data is talking to Dr. Crusher and he says, you know, I don't love, and he leaves and just says, you know, I don't believe that, you know, for a second. Like, Data has emotions to a very intellectualized and analyzed degree. Maybe they doesn't have, but, but, there are people who are all in their head and consider emotions more as a logical kind of thing rather than a feeling. Well, let's talk and, about, let's talk about Vulcans. Yes. Right? Because we, you know, we don't deal with Vulcans very much in the next generation, no. but Vulcans have emotions. Yes. They've just learned to suppress them. They don't, ex- they, they experience them. They process them logically, but they do not, le- they, they don't, ex- they, you know, what, what, what word am I looking for? They don't, uh, uh, well, I, they don't express their emotions in any way. It's something like you know you have. A, I I really think to the to the Vulcans, uh, having an emotion is like having a headache in a way. Like for the most part, you know, you get a mild headache, you're at work, like you just you take two aspirin and you ignore it. You know, it, it's just it doesn't really. You know, a, a mild headache is not the end of the world. You know, I think to in to most Vulcans, they would see somebody reacting to an emotion, getting angry as like acting like they had a gigantic migraine and then they were dying. You right, know? right. So I, th- I think it, it's less that they don't, yeah, it's less that Vulcans don't have emotions, but it's more they don't, they don't put emotions as prime, really. That's not what, igno- emotions can be ignored and to an adult Vulcan, they should be ignored. Right. In favor of what is the most logical thing. And so what I guess the question really is that what, what I'm trying to get at is, you know, in this episode, I, you know, I I frankly think that Data loves Lol. Oh and God! Oh God! I'll, the show yeah. the show doesn't answer that question. I don't think the show should answer that question. But why does the show keep telling us over and over and over again that Data doesn't have emotions? But most of it is Data telling us over and over that he doesn't have emotions. True. And True. You know, that I really think that I I think Data has this idea of what an emotion is. Again, Data doesn't think he has emotions, but every action he does kind of says says otherwise. You know, he has affection for people. He has, you know, yes, so he doesn't laugh. Well, whatever, you know, that that's that that doesn't mean that a lot of people did. don't laugh. Yeah, doesn't, that doesn't they don't mean, find things funny. Yeah, exactly. He does find appreciation in things and he has appreciation for people he has a sense of duty a sense of sacrifice and if that isn't maybe he doesn't have the simple primal emotions of you know he doesn't get like red angry and like you know yellow happiness and you know stuff like that but he 
there are things that he likes. There are things that he keeps around him. Yeah, because I think, you know, a computer doesn't have preferences. Yes. But data does. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, data is obviously more than a computer. And, you know, the fact of the matter is uh, he copies Lull's, he copies his own brain yeah. to form Lull's brain. And so in that respect, what Lull develops, you know, the ability yeah. to use contractions and the ability to have emotions comes from data. I mean, yeah. It, that, it, this, that must be in there somewhere. This is very much, you know, the analog of having, you know, you know, you can play guitar and then your kid becomes a musical genius, you know, like, like it, it's something that. You know, you started that they just kind of ran with and did better and that you kind of hope for your kids. In a right, way. because that's the only thing is you want your children to have a better life than you do. Yeah. And Data also wants that. And I think one of the ways that Data thinks that Lol is going to have a better life is she can experience emotions. Now, of course, it turns out that the emotions are literally a sign ki- of killing her. her. Uh, which I think is an interesting choice for the episode. I, to I didn't go think into. it was that the emotions are killing her, but the fact that she can feel emotions is a symptom of this flaw with her. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's more just like you know, it's it's a it's it's an inherently dangerous feelings are an inherently dangerous glitch to law. Which what does that say about the emotions, and yeah. what does that say about about androids in this show then? Because. Data wants to experience emotions, but it seems like if the android experiences emotions, then that means that they're flawed in some way and they're they're going to die. Well, let me put it this way. I mean, Data will never, quote unquote, die unless he is destroyed or, ha- you know. True. And so his desire to become human does eventually inv- involve death. If Data were to become human, it would mean he would become mortal in a way. That's the usual you know that that's the fairy tale that data represents that's pinocchio you know yeah that's true and i think you know lol is more human than data just because she did die yeah in a sense um although did she die i don't know well you know but but they have that weird ambiguity with the ending where you know yeah well she's here i i re-uploaded her you know but in a way which isn't i don't know it it Another, you know, that's obviously the analog of, you know, my kid died, but I remembered all of the good times we had with them. You know, it's it's a more literal version of that. Yeah, and I don't think we're supposed to believe that data has become law in that no. respect. I think that, you know, I don't think that the show... But in a way for, you know, data now has her experiences at 10 forward. And while that, you know, may be more information for him, he does love information. And that's probably going to be some very special information for him. True. True, and I think also the fact of the matter is that that Law and Guinan obviously had some sort of relationship as well. Yeah, you know, um, there, I mean, you know, there's that 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 great scene in Tent Forward where they're explaining, you know, what exactly yeah. is going on over there. Um, and, and then uh, Riker comes in. That was, oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's funny. Uh, Riker was not in this episode yes, very much, I and why. the reason for that is because he directed it. Uh, great job, good for you, uh, Jonathan Frakes. Uh, and I won't say anything more about that. Uh, <laughs> You're not a fan of his direction? No, it's good. He um, just because he he directs a lot. He's an actor who directs rather than yeah, yeah. But he's good. No, I you know, and he actually directed uh, First Contact. I think the okay. second and third uh, Star Trek movies, Star Trek Next Generation movies. Okay. Uh, so he directs a lot. I mean, it was a good, um, it was a well done episode. I would say if he was a bad director, it wouldn't have come across. So, as... Yeah, he 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 does things a little differently than we've seen in the show. You know, the very beginning shot, the walk and talk. That's not something the show yeah. has really done before, um, at least not to that degree. Where it's kind of in front of the, you know, they're they're walking uh, in front of the camera. Yeah. Um. You know, a couple of overhead shots he does in the observation lounge and things like that, which are a little showy. And I think as a first time director, he's probably yeah. trying to show his chops a I little bit. I got new crayons. Yeah, exactly. Um. But you know, it's it's a good scene because it really does show the differences between Law and Data because Data is not someone who is as effusive as Law, and it almost I think uh, is a bit of a. It's a foreshadowing of Lol's eventual breakdown because she is much more effusive. She does show things. She wears her emotions on her yeah. sleeve in a way, uh, to know, a literal a, degree. I mean, you talk about new crayons in a way. It's like every new human interaction she sees is something she wants to immediately try out. You know, we we see she sees a couple holding hands and flirting, and she does both of those things. You know, right? And I think it's interesting because you know it it kind of the show is kind of going down the path of. Uh, androids as being more biological than mechanical, perhaps, because 
if you replicate, if you install Windows 7 on a new computer, it's going to be Windows 7, right? Uh, if you replicate data's neural pathways and make a new positronic brain, that positronic brain exhibits different behaviors than data. So it's much more of a biological component where if you if you have a child, that child obviously is is you know biologically the same as you but is a different person because of experiences and personality yeah, yeah, and all yeah. those kind of things so the the implication there is that 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 android brain and law are more akin to a biological entity or the way that they grow and develop than a computer well i mean that that's the whole thing data could have probably been you know no one could figure out how to replicate data's programming exactly and data can't even as it seems as it turns out a lot of the improvements are almost expl- implied to be you know things he couldn't quite get right because nobody's been able to get them quite right yet um yeah and also the fact of the matter is i think you know we're forgetting about the existence of lore as well because yeah. lore seemed to have emotions yeah um so what's going on there and no, i, think I really think data ha- just believes well, in we, his own his own limitations what i think it really is is that we have a very limited set of of information here to go on right yeah. and we have we have lore we have data and now we have law and so it's not that the data is kind of the the er representation of all androids only because he is the only android in as much as Worf is the er representation of all Klingons in the show because he is the only Klingon on the show. So he is a stand in for his entire species or whatever. Right. But what we're starting to see with lore in data lore in the first season and now with lol is that. Data is not what data does and data's reactions and data's behaviors and, and beliefs are not representative of all androids or all Sung type androids. Yeah. But it's just how data is. Yeah. And so data just might be the kind of person who is yeah. not effusive, whereas his daughter Lol is. Yeah. And in that's a way, just the difference of how they develop. We still really haven't seen, you know, this episode talks a lot about how the formative years of the android are crucial. Like how they, be, you know, they basically say, what if you're not doing everything 100% right during the first, you know, few days, few weeks of, you know, this android's existence, you know, things could be messed up in a way. Now, the Admiral may be a bit dramatic about that, but. We haven't really seen what Data's early childhood, in a way, was like, so... We have no idea, frankly. Yeah. Uh, uh, Lol is raised in an environment where she is allowed to be emotional and is allowed to feel these things, and therefore she's encouraged to. What would be really funny is if uh, uh, Data was... Data's early development was in a lab run by Vulcans. Yeah, I mean, that. I, I almost feel like it was that kind of a situation where, you know, he would be... Uh, I mean, maybe Data does is feeling love right at the moment when his daughter is dying, love and sadness, but because nobody's really explained to him, like, oh, that feeling you're... Fe- that, that is, sad, you know, he just kind of ignores it even. I mean, he may not even think it's anything. You know? Right, right, yeah. And I... Oh, that scene. I don't know. It's just no. It was. It's, it's you know. It. I don't know. It's like the show just has figured out how to do certain things, and it's. And I mean, you know, I mean, we we have other characters to tell us whether or not Data has emotions. Well, the Admiral comes out of the you know the surgery really completely different than we've seen him in the entire episode. In that scene, he is just him as a person. Like, he has been hiding behind his duty for most of it. Yes. He's he's, he's the latest representation of a long line of Starfleet assholes. Yeah. But he's he's a person, and, you know, the second he, you know, he, he offers to help Data because you can see that he's thinking, oh, my God, you know, if my own kid were, you know, I would how I would feel. And in that scene when he's saying, like, I've never seen anybody operate so fast, he was just trying to, you know— He's, I think he recognizes that's love in data. Right, because I don't think that you work that hard to fix a computer. No, he recognizes at that point that, oh my God, this is a, you know, this is no different than, you know, a surgeon operating on their kid and just desperately trying to last ditch and working way beyond, you know, the point of failure. Yeah, and I, you know, and and I don't want to say that the episode is, is flawless because it, it, I think we, it could have done just as well 
without the subplot of the Admiral wanting to take them all away. Like, I, I don't think that that adds too much to the episode. And in a lot of ways, it's a retread of the measure of a man. Whereas the same, I think that it takes, it takes a lot of it. There's just no point to it because there's no, there's no way that the Admiral will ever win this argument. I mean, the show won't P- let him Picard, know. Well, it's not even that, but Picard flat out says a couple times, these are living sentient beings. They have rights and liberties. Yeah. You can't just take them. Like if Lull says, no, I don't want to go, she's not going. I so, mean, he's calling, you know, Picard has probably sent a message to the judge from Measure of the Man in the behind the scenes of this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Like, get ready. We're doing this again. But it's kind of like, you know, we could have this. This is 10 minutes that probably could have been more better used, I think, in the episode. that That's kind of my only criticism of it, I think. Seeing Lol and Wesley hang out might have been, a th- you know, there were more characters that Lol could have had interactions with. Sure. Yeah. Um, I love her and Troy. And I like that. I, I, I think it's really it, – Troy isn't like a mother figure in this episode, and I'm glad that they didn't, you know, make her a direct mother figure in this episode. But she is somewhere in between like a cool big sis or a cool aunt in a way. She's the friend of, you know, Law's fathers that, you know, she can go to when she, you know, needs another adult, you know, when she needs a woman around. And I think it's interesting that starts from the very kind of beginning when they're looking at the uh, – I, I love that joke how she has a several thousand, you know, and then they cut to a passive, <laughs> you know, <laughs> she's just asleep in the holodeck because it's so boring. Um, but, you know, like when, when they show the, you know, the the, the young woman that. Uh, but also the fact that Troy stayed, right? Like, yeah. like Troy has even become kind of that role model to Lol in a way. And she yeah. realizes that and they already have a relationship. Yeah. When she says, you know, all she says about the woman always, oh, oh, I like her. And, you know, Lol picks that form in a way almost to. Like, you can see her kind of trying to impress Troy in a way. Or like, you know, oh, well, that's what you like. So I'm going to like that, too. You know, I, I, think, well, that's, even, I think that's kind of nice. Yeah, even to the point where, where Law wants to look like Troy. Yeah, oh, uh, that's right. That's the that's her actually her first thing, her first choice. You yeah, know? and I, I mean, I don't know if I don't know if I want to go down a, a long road of talking about, like, gender. But, you know, I do think it's interesting that Law has has exhibited sort of these these feminine tendencies even at the very beginning of the yeah. episode you she know? doesn't want to be like her father necessarily because you could see in it you know an android which picked you know wanted to be uh, who said to data you know i want to look just like you would have meant very different than you know to troy of course right or even to wesley or jordy you know that but you know it's it's nice that troy's the one she kind of imprints on in a way yeah it is definitely and i think it also is an implication that that lol is going it's it's a very early indication in the episode that lol is going to be different from data yes cuz yes. you know at the very beginning of the episode you know were you sure where this was going to go no and i thought oh god he's made a kid and the kid's going to be evil like that's what i thought was going to happen and you know I mean, hell maybe even first season would have done that Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it would have. And I mean, I think the existence of data lore is evidence for that. Yeah. This episode, you know, the the show does a lot of episodes that don't really have villains, you know? And actually, yeah, the both of the, you know, Yesterday's Enterprise doesn't have a villain. It has this amorphine Romulan attack and this amorphine Klingon vessel coming, but we never see either of them in the first place. Um, right. We see the bird of prey at the very end, but we don't even have a... There isn't a Klingon captain that we talk to. It's a faceless enemy. Because well, he does it. talk, but barely. His yeah. lines just surrender. You know, right? right? Um, yeah, like because the enemy is irrelevant. It's just it's any natural disaster. It's just it's the MacGuffin timeline. You know. Well, that's and I think that's that's the nice thing about. Yeah. I think it's a nice thing about sort of episodic television in general and Star Trek in particular is that. It can tell a wide variety of stories, and yeah. I think we've seen that even this week, where the first episode is very much a high-concept science yeah. fiction episode. This one, The Offspring, is a quiet character study. Yeah, the Admiral is not exactly a villain. He's the cl- he's a semi-antagonist, but that's about it. Yeah, I think so. And I think at the end of the day, it's it's a, it's a, it's a sad episode for Data because I think. Data still doesn't realize, and I don't know that Data ever does realize, we'll have to see, um, that he is a fully sentient being. I think that he intellectually understands it in the same way that a lot of people in Starfleet intellectually understand it. But I think Data, I think this episode kind of shows that Data has kind of internalized... 
yeah. android phobia or whatever. No, like he's internalized some of his own. I don't want to say oppression because that doesn't really seem like a word that seems appropriate to data in most cases, but he has internalized a bit of his se- of a second class status even and and it's kind of a shame that you know the the show wasn't prepared to do this and i think i don't think pe- i don't think people in general were necessary theory was barely prepared well, to do this at this point well i just i you know data is is the is the example of of the kind of the first generation android and Law would have been the second generation, and yeah. who knows where that character would have gone. And it, this is this was not the show that was prepared to do this, but I kind of wish, you know, what would have happened if Law had not died, and yeah. what if Law had become a main cast member? And oh my god, where, I, you know, I, where would that have gone? I don't know. You that know? would have been wonder, or even if she had, you know, and and an, an, an end of the episode where you know maybe the admiral does help save her and you know maybe that is one of those where you know he you know during the course of seeing you know him doing this operation but then law does decide you know okay it is time to go to the academy and you're you know it's going to be assumed that you yeah because law can hang around for a year or two there's no there's no direct implies, analog that to, I, to human development I, and then she could go to the academy she it's, it's going to, yeah she says at one point like you know okay you know you're right it is logical once i'm finished once i learn everything there is to know on the starship i'm going to go to the academy which is kind of what wesley's doing in a way yeah um yeah. but yeah and i mean part of that is the implication that well, on a starship, you can learn. You know, there is still a shitload to learn on a starship. You will never, you know, they talk about how you're going to see all these planets. You know, she will never stop having things to learn on the starship, sure. But at the same time, I can see a version of her which does say, you know, no, I do want to go and get some more, you know, detailed training. You know, she could even have been a recurrer character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think it was just that the show, you know, this was not the kind of show that was going to make such a change to its status yeah. quo at this point. Which is a shame, but I think, you know, the the self-contained episode that we have is a nice... It was... It's a nice episode. It gets nine and a half positronic brains. I'll give it eight Andorian females. Aww. Well, next week we are talking about Sins of the Father and Allegiance. So look forward to those.